The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. listening to Making Life Brighter on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, where we provide you with the latest information in natural healing, consciousness training, and all cutting-edge healing modalities, featuring experts in their field, including authors, musicians, and artists. Making Life Brighter is your forum for healing, inspiring, and uplifting entertainment. Here is your host, Winifred Adams. Good morning, you're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams, and today we have promised special guest, Dr. Jason Fitzgerald, MD, and he is a cardiac and thoracic surgeon, and he is here in Denver, Colorado, and he practices out of St. Anthony's Hospital. Welcome, and thank you for coming today, Dr. Fitzgerald. Thanks for having me. This is a real treat for us because we often talk about woo-woo on this program, but the truth is (laughs) we talk about healing. And the whole idea is about experts in their field and people that bring their expertise to the world in whatever it is, whether it's authors or surgeons or healers or people that are on the cutting edge of technology and science and all those that are involved in any kind of improvement for our well-being. So thank you for coming to be with us because what you do is specialized. And so I'd like to get into a little bit of the background of your schooling. Now you started um, and you graduated with honors as an undergrad in Montana State University, right? Uh, yes. And then you went to, where did you do your medical school? At the University of Washington in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And so what had you really choose heart and heart surgery as your focus. Where did where did that um, come from for you? So, after medical school, I did a residency in in general surgery, and it was uh, during that time that I decided that I wanted to do heart surgery. And I think that I think the things that led me toward that uh, were one, obviously, the heart's very important, and there's it's sort of central to a lot of uh, other things that are happening in the body. Um, and so you can really make a big impact for people. Um, and then the second thing is I really found just the mechanical function of the heart and the various problems that it develops to be fascinating. And it's and found it very satisfying to be able to, to work on this sort of machine and, uh, and, 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 and see it do cool things. And so you've probably seen a lot of improvement, even in the time that you've started your schooling until now, because everything's changing so quickly. What's the number one thing that has fascinated you the most in the improvement in science around heart surgeries? I think the fact that we're able to do more and more things in a less invasive fashion. Um, you know, heart surgery has typically is uh, very, very invasive big incisions, big physiological impact. Um, And yet I think that a big direction that 
we've been heading in uh, as surgeons is to be able to do these things with less overall impact on the patient. So um, I have an interest in, in uh, you know, minimally invasive heart surgery and uh, I'm involved in a number of, you know, procedures that that are taking you know smaller incisions, less physiological impact, and and that sort of thing. And and what that translates into is just um, overall faster recovery for patients, <clears throat> and a, a quicker return to normal activity and normal life, and you know a more full healing, if you will. What's the typical turnaround time for a n- typically non-invasive? And you're, I mean, you don't have to cut someone mm-hmm. directly open, but you can go into replace a valve or fix a valve? Yeah, it's, you know, it's really variable because it depends on, uh, it depends on exactly what we're doing, uh, how extensive the work is. It depends on factors that have to do with the patient, age, other health problems, mobility, things like that. But, um, you know, typically, I would say the range, you know, the range is, uh, I mean, in terms of hospitalization, I mean, people tend to be in the hospital anywhere from, you know, two days to a week mm-hmm. afterward, but, um, that's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, well, actually, if you think about well, it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it, it, again, it's, you know, it's, it's always variable, but I think if we can do, if we can do these operations in a minimally invasive fashion and do them safely, patients definitely recover faster and get back to their normal lives. Uh, faster than than they do if you know with the more traditional uh, incisions and techniques. And so when you first began this, you you studied this part in Salt Lake City, is that right? Maybe. Right. So after I, after my general surgery residency in uh, Sacramento, then um, yeah, I did car- a cardiothoracic uh, residence, surgery residency in Salt Lake City for a couple of years. And when you began practicing this, how, how did you practice replacing valves and, and suturing valves in this way? Or have you learned that as you've gotten into it more and, and worked on people? Yeah, so it, in my training, uh, you know, that was about nine years, nine or ten years ago, um, most of what I was learning was the, just the traditional ways of doing things, which is, you know, which is, which is fine in the way that it's done. Yeah, in a Is lot that of cutting places. someone open? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, typically doing most operations through what we call a median sternotomy, which is splitting the sternum. Um, but over the last several years, I've, you know, I've, I've developed an interest in, in minimally invasive things, and it's, you know, I went and saw other surgeons do it, and and just started to develop a, based on that sort of my own techniques for doing it. And how do you try that for the first time? Well, you can't be wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 a very good question, and it's a it's a balance because you want you have to maintain the patient's safety, um, you know, while at the same time trying to to develop new techniques. So there's there's definitely a balance there, and I think you just you know it's it's using judgment and. And being careful and and not overstepping your bounds really and, or your skill level. What does that take? I mean, you have to have kind of not only a gentle touch, but you have to have absolute. You know, the the, the game operation where you can't you can't touch the side. You have right. to be very careful what you do. So how do you I keep think your mind clear when you do that? <laughs> so there's a guy who one of the guys who who taught me some of these techniques. Um, actually said you need to have the patience of a saint there you <laughs> and go that's that's i think that's the key that's the key it's not it's not necessarily you know any sort of magical skill i think it's just more 
more you're having, taking your having, time having or... patience and and uh, you know making sure that each step is is done right before you move on to the the next step can you describe a little bit of what that's like because i'm really curious how you go about doing that so you're going through the side of someone and how do you replace a valve and, well, and know it's in place right so we have there's there's different methods of of what we call minimally invasive valve replacement mm -hmm. depending on what the problem is um, there are some uh, some instances in which we can actually replace a valve without any incision just by putting a wire up uh, through their groin and into their heart and putting a valve in that's inside of a stent um, and that's called a transcatheter aortic valve replacement and that's that's become a revolutionary technique uh, that, that uh, is really has really been a game changer, particularly for people who are old and frail and wouldn't do well with open heart surgery. Isn't it hard to get the tube through their body that you would put that up through? Um, mm. Yeah, and that's and so in the beginning these devices were were pretty big, and that was a huge concern is putting them up through the arteries. Um, and and what's happened is that as the technology has advanced, the devi devices for introducing the valve have become smaller and smaller. And now we can treat people with smaller and smaller arteries. Um, there are some people though, yeah, if you have, you know, blockages or a lot of plaque in those arteries on the way to the heart, then the, you know, you might not be able to do it that way. But we can, can treat- Do you know that? Excuse me, do you know that before you try that? Or do yeah, you know so bef before that procedure, patients typically have a number of studies, and one of them is a special kind of CAT scan, um, which kind of gives us a roadmap of, of the arteries. And it, so we, we know what we're getting into, and um, you know, make sure we measure the arteries, make sure we have enough room to, to get that valve up there. It also helps us, it also gives really detailed view of the valve itself. Um, and so, so that we can, you know, we have the measurements right and, and all that. But so that's, so we can do that for the aortic valve um, and cer certain patients qualify for that procedure. And then for other valve, for patients who don't qualify for that for the aortic valve for, you know, a number of reasons um, or patients who have problems with the mitral valve or the tricuspid valve, um, yeah, so we, we can use small incisions on the side of their chest to access the heart. You're essentially doing the same operation that you do through a through the big open sternum, just the technique is modified a little bit so you can do it through a very small incision in the side of the chest. Um, and uh, we use special instruments and, and uh, some some things like that, but uh, it's it takes some getting used to operating kind of through a small hole and, and only be able to have a limited visibility at a time. But um, How do you see it? Do you see it through a scope or do you see it on a screen? No, How it's actually, it? and, and there's different ways of doing it, um, but we actually actually use direct vision. Um, so I wear a, a special pair of glasses that have some telescopes on them um, so that I can, I, can, I can see pretty well what's going on in there. But you are sort of operating through, through a tunnel and it, it, that takes a little bit of getting used to. But, um, you know, it, it, overall it's, it's just nice because I think the patients really feel less violated by these types of procedures. And so I think their overall sense of... Um, wholeness is is preserved after the operation as compared to more invasive and how how do you go in in that same vein and same way <laughs> and <laughs> we have to be clear here right right <laughs> and suture 
a valve that's that's weakened or needs to be tightened or weakened. Right. So I mean, there's different techniques for repair or replacement, but all of them involve some degree of suturing. Um, and uh, we, you know, we have special long instruments that that go in there, and uh, you know, and you just do the same sort of the technique again. Is a little bit takes a little bit of getting used to, but it's the same thing that we would do uh, through a sternotomy. Um, but yeah, just some just some special instruments and a special device that that ties the knots uh, actually for us, um, so we don't have to tie down into a deep hole. Uh, you know, there's just there's just a bunch of sort of ingenious little gadgets that have that very yeah. smart people have come up with that make this a lot easier. So it's fascinating. That's amazing what's happening in our world today in technology. And we'll be right back with more Dr. Fitzgerald here on Making Life Brighter Radio. You can check out all the archives at makinglifebrighter.com on the radio tab. And if you have a question or a comment, please feel free to email me at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen Winifred's healing jewelry? See what collectors and celebrities have been adoring for decades. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning, based on the energetic healing property of natural semi-precious gemstones. Whether you prefer a custom design or wish to choose something special from her handcrafted line of jewelry, all of Winifred's designs are tuned in a crystal quartz tuning bowl to the word love. Blessed stones by masters and even John of God, these healing pieces have been coveted by happy customers for years. With a fine eye for energy and aesthetic, Winifred brings to life the beauty within each stone and its unique healing properties. Enjoy more energy with Brazilian citrine. Protect yourself from EMFs and rebalance with tourmalines. Break unwanted patterns with beautiful appetite. Choose from a wide variety of gemstones and their healing properties. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning. Follow on Facebook at Designs by Winifred or email at info at designsbywinifred.com. You voted show host Winifred Adams Writer of the Year for her Making Life Brighter consciousness columns, Entertainer of the Year two years running for her Making Life Brighter radio show, and Humanitarian of the Year for the third year running for her healing work and work at John of God. Medical intuitive and host of the Voice America Making Life Brighter radio show, Winifred Adams is your resource for wellness and consciousness training. A master healer for 20 years with a worldwide and celebrity clientele, Winifred uses her unique gifts to help those in need with physical, spiritual, and emotional ailments or trauma. Individuals and families may book private sessions in person or via Skype worldwide. Go to makinglifebrighter.com for more information. Enjoy Winifred's monthly articles with upwards of 30,000 fans. To buy music and subscribe to her Voice America radio show, visit iTunes worldwide. Follow along on Facebook at Making Life Brighter for her latest humanitarian effort to help move elephants in South America to a free roam sanctuary. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. 
For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. And today we have special guest, Dr. Jason Fitzgerald, who is a thoracic and cardiac heart surgeon, and he is part of the CTSA group here in Denver, Colorado. And if you would like to contact his office, you can call 720-321-8680, or you can get more information by emailing at info at ctsurgery.com. So thank you, doctor, for coming and being with us today. It's a pleasure, yeah. We were discussing previously how he goes about his heart surgery, and that is fascinating. Um, you, you just have to have hands of steel to not move. Now, you must see the world differently after doing this, because when things aren't quite right, you can probably see the little pieces and parts in it that need to be put together better wherever you go if you look at something. <laughs> you must see the world differently. <laughs> um... Or yeah, do you turn I, it off? Do you turn yeah, it off and leave it behind? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not... Uh, like filmmakers can never leave a picture or a scene behind. Now they see the world through different lenses. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, I, I suppose there's some of that. But I would say definitely the heart surgery skills don't necessarily transfer to uh, the rest of life, <laughs> as my wife would be very happy to tell you. Like, you can do heart surgery, but you can't figure out how to fix that door or, oh, you know, or something like that. That's so. funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. We all have to have our expertise, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is a tremendous one to have. And you've you've saved lots of lives in in your ability to be exact. What is that pressure like to be exact? Um, I mean. You, yeah, you have to do the job right, um, and the you know the, the decisions that have to be made is what can you what can you do realistically um, in any given situation, and, and you know what's the balance between not doing enough with trying to do too much. Um, what's too much in some cases? You know, every every patient is unique. Um, and every patient has has sort of a limit as to what they can stand. Um, the thing about heart surgery is you have it's it's uh, it's definitely the kind of thing you know you you go you go in and you sort of have a certain amount of time um, to sort of fix what needs to be fixed. Um, and you kind of have so much that you can push a patient during an operation. Um, and, you know, for someone who's really young and healthy, and, you know, you're most of those people, if they have a complex set of problems, you should be able to fix all the problems. But as people get older and have other comorbidities, um, to it's not always possible to hit a home run. Um, and in trying to hit a home run, sometimes you can cause harm, uh, and so it's it comes down to a judgment about you know what does what is the best thing for this particular patient? What do they really need to be done, and, and what can we do sort of you know without without causing harm? 
And, th and those decisions are, you know, that's, I think, really takes a lifetime to master those, those subtle decisions. Is that a gut feeling to you, or does it come by weighing what's in front of you scientifically, or both? Definitely both. Mm -hmm. Definitely both. There's, I mean, there's the Society of Thoracic Surgeons is definitely, uh, you know, and, and other groups have come up with different scales and different risk calculators and these kind of things to help us make these decisions. But a lot of times it does come down to, to gut feeling as well, just, just, you know, looking at the patient and, and interacting with them. Yeah, so it's it's definitely definitely a, definitely a combination of, of sort of you know objective and subjective criteria about what we're going to do, and, and and I think like I said, I think that's that's really the hard thing is 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 figuring out exactly exactly what needs to be done on who because you can't you know you can't always fix everything and everybody, and sometimes the right thing to do is to is is not to do surgery. Interesting. Um, yeah. For sure. I mean, we, you know, in the, we definitely can. You know, there's definitely the potential to hurt people if you, if you know, if if a person isn't able to withstand the operation, or you know, if it's not it's not the right thing. So those are those are those can be difficult decisions. Now, what's the most common thing you see in Colorado? You personally, what what valve is usually mm -hmm. the most damaged? How is it damaged? What do you see? Um. I think the most the most common valve problem we see in Colorado is probably the same that's seen throughout the United States. At least the most common valve op problem that, that needs an operation uh, is something called aortic stenosis, um, and that's a condition in which the aortic valve, which is the valve that every time the heart squeezes, that valve has to open up so blood gets to the rest of the body. In aortic stenosis, that valve becomes scarred up so that it doesn't open very well, so that the, that the heart is trying to pump blood to the body through a little uh, kind of a pinhole. Uh, and so that puts a lot of strain on the heart and can, you know, can ultimately cause death. So uh, symptoms, congestive heart failure, and then death. Uh, and so I, I think that's probably the most common valve problem in the United States and in, and in Colorado. Now, I don't mean to sound um, uneducated on this, but I really don't know, so this might be good for everybody. I know we have our, our heart chart right here. Um, is that central to one particular valve? Um, yes, yeah, so definitely the, the aortic valve is definitely most likely to be affected by that kind of a process, mm -hmm. um, this scarring up to where it doesn't open very well. You can see that with some of the other valves in the heart, but it's it's much more rare. Um, what we see with the other valves, and we can also see with the aortic valve, is uh, leakiness. Okay. So it's kind of the opposite problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say probably the second most common valve problem that we see for an operation is something called mitral regurgitation. And that's a different valve in the heart. And what happens there is, is uh, uh, when that valve is supposed to close so that um, during a contraction of the heart so that blood can go forward out into the body. But if that valve leaks, then blood goes backward toward the lungs. Um, and that can uh, you know this cause congestive heart failure and, and ultimately you know bad problems and so that's also a common a common one we see that's interesting you know I, I was a super athlete from a kid all the way up until my adult years and 
Um, I think I always had a little bit of some leakiness. I don't know. But whenever I had my heart checked, they said it was great. Mm-hmm. It was fine. And sometimes when I lay down, I can hear a little bit. I can mm-hmm. kind of hear it. What would that be from this, generally speaking, what you just said? So I think what you're talking about is something called a heart murmur. Mm-hmm. Um, and a heart murmur is very common. And, and what that is, is it's a it's an abnormal sound. Um, actually, abnormal probably isn't the right word, but it's it's a sound that's made when you have turbulent flow across one of the heart valves. Um, and a heart of you know heart murmurs are are fairly common um and a lot of times they're you know they they are not i mean they're just from a benign process or they're just kind of a a sound that somebody's heart is making without having a problem but if what i would tell people is that if you do have a heart murmur it definitely should be checked out with uh, what's called an echocardiogram because although heart murmurs can be benign, they sometimes can be indicative of a disease valve too. And it's better to know about a valve problem sort of early on, and even if nothing needs to be done about it immediately, it should be followed over time so that if an intervention is needed, it can be done before a person gets real sick. Great. But a lot of but heart murmurs are very common, but what I would emphasize is that if a, if a new murmur is heard in somebody, it should be checked out. Very good. Now, your your whole practice has a collaborative team focus. Tell us about that a little bit. So, uh, heart surgery is definitely a team sport, um, and definitely more minds are better than one working together. Um, we have, as a cardiac surgeon, I work very closely with, with cardiologists, and those are doctors who um, who are often the, the first uh, referral for a person who has a heart problem. They, they kind of evaluate sort of all heart diseases. They also do, uh, they also do various types of interventions too. Um, but we work very closely with them. Uh, we also work closely with doctors from other specialties, uh, both before, during, and after. Uh, operations to make sure that the patients get the kind of care, you know, the comprehensive care they need. Um, we have mid-level, we have physician's assistants, uh, you know, who are on the team, obviously nursing care. There's just a whole, there's a whole uh, spectrum of people who, who work together. Um, and we, uh, we, we even, even before we operate on people, we have these team discussions about, you know, when we see a patient, we're deciding whether or not to operate on them. Um, we have these discussions where we sit down and, and we look through the images and we talk about various aspects of the patient and, and get different perspectives from different sorts of providers and everything's aimed toward making the right decisions um, that's going to maximize the benefit for the patient, make sure that what we do is as safe as possible uh, and that the recovery is as quick as possible. What do you see that impedes recovery, generally speaking? Um, Again, I mean, I guess some of the more tangible things are, again, you know, basically a person's health going into the procedure, besides their heart health, but the rest of their body, how healthy is the rest of their body, um, you know, that, that makes a huge difference. Somebody who has who taken, you know, who's in good health, both physically and mentally, 
um, going into a procedure typically recovers the fastest and does the best. You know, when you, you start adding on other disease, pro you know, chronic lung disease or kidney problems, and those things all, all slow recovery. Um, and then, obviously, a person's, and this can't be overstated, a person's attitude, too, and their, and their you know, their, their, their mental health and their, and, uh, their attitude toward healing is, uh, you know, that's something that's it's harder to quantify, but has, has a huge impact on, on how, you know, on recovery. I mean, if a person has a heart operation and they, and they, you know, they, they, they think they're not doing well, you know, then, then they won't, mm -hmm. you know, whereas if a person thinks that they're do if they believe that they're doing well and they believe that they're going to get better, then, then they do. Um, and it's amazing how that works. <laughs> it's, it's more than just in your valves. It's definitely in your head, too, in this case. And so we'll be right, right back. We're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and we're here with Dr. Fitzgerald. We'll be right back with more Inside Surgery when we come back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen Winifred's healing jewelry? See what collectors and celebrities have been adoring for decades. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning, based on the energetic healing property of natural semi-precious gemstones. Whether you prefer a custom design or wish to choose something special from her handcrafted line of jewelry, all of Winifred's designs are tuned in a crystal quartz tuning bowl to the word love. Blessed stones by masters and even John of God, these healing pieces have been coveted by happy customers for years. With a fine eye for energy and aesthetic, Winifred brings to life the beauty within each stone and its unique healing properties. Enjoy more energy with Brazilian citrine. Protect yourself from EMFs and rebalance with tourmalines. Break unwanted patterns with beautiful appetite. Choose from a wide variety of gemstones and their healing properties. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning. Follow on Facebook at Designs by Winifred or email at info at you voted show host Winifred Adams Writer of the Year for her Making Life Brighter Consciousness Columns, Entertainer of the Year two years running for her Making Life Brighter radio show, and Humanitarian of the Year for the third year running for her healing work and work at John of God. Medical intuitive and host of the Voice America Making Life Brighter radio show, Winifred Adams is your resource for wellness and consciousness training. A master healer for 20 years with a worldwide and celebrity clientele, Winifred uses her unique gifts to to help those in need with physical, spiritual, and emotional ailments or trauma. Individuals and families may book private sessions in person or via Skype worldwide. Go to MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information. Enjoy Winifred's monthly articles with upwards of 30,000 fans. To buy music and subscribe to her Voice America radio show, visit iTunes worldwide. Follow along on Facebook at Making Life Brighter for her latest humanitarian effort to help move elephants in South America to a free roam sanctuary. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. 
For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. We're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams, and today we're speaking to Dr. Fitzgerald. He is a heart surgeon out of Colorado, and he operates out of St. Anthony's Hospital, and he is here with us today talking about how impressive it is to be involved in heart surgery for the well-being of other people. And why I say that is because it takes uh, nerves of steel to do what he just told us in the last segment, and now he's going to walk us through literally what it's like from the beginning of a surgery into what he does as an expertise and he is an expert at valve replacement here in Denver so doctor tell us what it's like from the moment someone gets wheeled in and the prep and how you go about the surgery sure so the patient usually comes to a preoperative area uh, early in the morning um, and you know there's some paperwork and labs are reviewed and uh, usually I meet with the patient and answer any questions and uh, before they go back to the operating room. Um, and then the, the anesthesiologist wheels them into the, into the operating room. Every, the instruments are already on the table. Um, and uh, there's somebody, there's a tech who's already scrubbed in um, and sterile. Uh, and then the patient gets, the, the patient gets moved to the, uh, the operating room table and the anesthesiologist puts some oxygen on and then um, and then gives them anesthetic and they, they fall asleep. Um, and then uh, as they fall asleep, the anesthesiologist puts a, a breathing tube uh, into their trachea, but you know, they're asleep so they don't, they don't feel that They don't protest. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's because when somebody's completely anesthetized, they, they, can't, they don't even breathe on their own. So the machine breathes for them during the operation. Um, and then, then we, what's called prepping happens, and um, for heart surgery, usually a catheter is put into the bladder at that point. Um, the anesthesiologist uh, puts in some special uh, IV lines, typically a, a monitor going into the radial artery at the wrist, which gives continuous measurement of blood pressure. Um, and then they also put in a, a, a central venous line, so that's a that's a large IV that goes into the jugular vein of the neck, um, and so that uh, fluid and drugs can be administered rapidly. Um, and then, usually at that point, um, the a, a sterilizing uh, solution is put on the patient's chest and abdomen. They're basically their whole body. Um, and then, and then we uh, usually by that time uh, I'm scrubbed in, and um, and then my assistants are scrubbed in. And I uh, usually work with either another surgeon or a physician's assistant, um, and uh, we we prep the or we, we drape at that point. So we put the put sterile drapes on, which basically isolate the surgical field, so that everything you know so that there's not you know we don't touch anything that's unsterile and that kind of thing. Um, and then say for I'll just say for instance we're doing a say a minimally invasive mitral operation mitral valve replacement. Um, so 
at that, uh, oh, and the other thing we do, and this is important, but before we do before we do anything invasive to the procedure or to the patient, um, we do a timeout in the operating room, and this is very important, where we make sure that we have the right patient and we're doing the right operation. This um, is your checklist pre-flight. Yep, yeah, it, that's <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, and we right, we go, we just go through sort of all all those all those things, you know, this is the patient, this is how old they are, you know, this is what we're doing, this is what our plan is, um, this is the side, you know, we're on, did they get the antibiotics, did they get the other drugs they need, yes, and so we stop and we go through that before we, before we kind of do anything irreversible. Um, yeah, and then, and then at that point, uh, you know, I take a scalpel and make an incision. Um, um, again, we're just saying, for instance here, a minimally invasive mitral uh, a mitral valve re- replacement. Say, um, make a uh, make a small incision, la- you know, just uh, lateral to the nipple, um, and then uh, use a cautery device to dissect the tissue, the fat tissue, and then down through some of the muscle there till you get to the bone, to the ribs. Mm-hmm. Um, then the the patient has a double lumen endotracheal tube, meaning that that breathing tube can I can you can breathe both lungs together, one or the other. So I ask the anesthesiologist to deflate the lung. On the right side, then I then I pop through the intercostal muscle, divide the intercostal muscle on top of the rib. Um, then we're then we're inside the the side inside the right side of the chest. Um, then I put in some I put in a couple of uh, retractors that basically let you kind of take a small hole and, and make it bigger. Um, and then at that point, um, we stop, go down to the right groin, um, where we make a very small incision there. And then do and then, you know, use the cautery device to get down into the femoral sheath, and we dissect out the femoral artery and vein. Uh, there, I put purse strings in those, um, and what that allows me, what that means is that I can poke a hole in the middle of the purse string, and and put a tube in there, and then when I'm done, I can take that tube out and just tighten down the purse string. So I we we put the purse strings in there, then we give a huge dose of uh, blood thinner at that point. Um, in preparation for going on what's called cardiopulmonary bypass. So then what, what I do is uh, I take a, a very long cannula, so like a big hose, and I put in using a, a wire to guide it in, in the echocardiogram, in echocardiography, that's an ultrasound of the heart that the anesthesiologist is doing. We guide this thing from the femoral vein up to the right atrium of the heart. Okay, and then we put, and then through the artery, we put a hose that, that goes pretty far up the artery into the aorta. Then we hook those into our cardiopulmonary bypass machine, which is actually run by a person called a perfusionist. And once we're all ready, we say, okay, go on bypass. And they turn that machine on, and it sucks all the blood out of the patient um, into this machine. Um, and it oxygenates it and pressurizes it. It sucks all the blood out of the, the right atrium, which is where all the veins come back. It pulls in this machine. It, it filters it. It oxygenates the blood and pressurizes it, and then we put it back into the aorta. And what that does is that means that the blood is now bypassing the heart and lungs. And if you look at the heart at that point, it goes from being full and beating to just an empty sack that's beating with nothing in it because you've pulled all the blood out of the patient. So the machine now is doing the work of the heart and lungs. Um, How long does it do that? Well, you you can do it for, I mean, it can do it indefinitely, but there's, and that's what I was talking about earlier, there is a, there there's a window that you have. And um, usually for, say, a mitral valve replacement, you know, we maybe we're doing that for 90 minutes or something. but 
you know, if you have to do much more complex surgery, you definitely can be on for longer. But most people, and it depends on a number of factors, how long you can be on that bypass machine. But, you know, usually the upper limit is around four or five hours, yeah. six hours maybe before you start, because the the body doesn't like being on, it's a very unnatural state. Right. Um, and right. It, it causes a lot of inflammatory uh, mediators to be released. It causes a number of other issues that, um, you know, the body does not like having the blood circulated outside of it. Um, and so we kind of have a limited amount of time to do what we need to do and, and be done. So then um, what do you do after all that's happened? Do you go in and actually replace it at that point? Right? Now that the happened? patient's on the, right. So the next thing, so the next thing to do is um, we, uh, we put in, you know, we, we open the sac around the heart through that small incision in the chest. Um, we put in some some drink, some vent. Some, we make more purse strings in the heart. We put in some some vents, which are suction tubes to help keep different blood from pooling in different parts of the heart when we're going to be operating on it. Then we uh, we take a clamp and put it across the ascending aorta. And what that does is that separates the re the the heart circulation from the rest of the circulation. And then below that clamp. Uh, so separate from the circulation that the bypass machine is doing, um, we, we put a cannula in and we inject into the heart um, uh, uh, the, the patient's own blood mixed with a high concentration of potassium. Mm -hmm. And that goes down the coronary arteries and causes the heart to arrest immediately. So now the heart's arrested. Um, and so periodically while the heart's arrested, we give more blood with potassium to keep it arrested. And again, this is another situation where you can only have the heart arrested for a, a finite period of time, usually a few hours. If you, if, you, if you go beyond that, you can get irreversible damage to the heart. So it's not like we have as much time to do what we need to do. And that's part of the judgment is you, you look at a patient, you say, how much time do we have here? You know, how long do we think this is gonna take? Um, what's the right thing? You know, what, what do we do? Anyway, what do, we do? Um, you know, can we, are we gonna, can we hit a home run? Can we replace everything that's wrong with this patient? Or do we, can we only do yeah. part of it or, or what? And what, yeah. and what's gonna be the risk versus benefit? So anyway, at this point, we got the cross clamp on, we have the heart arrested. And then for the mitral valve uh, replacement, we open the, uh, we open the, uh, we, we cut a hole in the left atrium. Um, we use a special retractor that, that keeps that hole open. Then you're looking at the mitral valve. Um, then you take a scissor and cut the leaflets out, um, and uh, and then you and you size the opening mm -hmm. to see what size valve you need. We have different sizes of valve on the shelf, um, and then those are opened up, uh, and and then we put sutures through the annulus, which is the ring where the that supported the valve leaflets, um, and then once those are in the annulus, they have two. You put the other needles through the through the valve, you lower it, you push it, you put it down onto the annulus, make sure it seats well, um, and then you, uh, we use a special device to, uh, to tie the knots circumferentially, um, and then you just make sure it opens and closes, then you sew up the hole in the atrium, and uh, you remove the cross clamp on the aorta, at that point, uh, warm oxygenated blood goes down the coronary arteries, and the, and the heart, start, start, heart starts beating. Yeah. Um, we usually put pacing wires on the heart because a lot of times the heart will beat too slow initially. 
Um, and then we usually give the heart about 15 minutes or so uh, to just recover. And it's, it's getting blood supply, it's recovering from being arrested, but it's not doing any work yet. It's still empty because the blood's still going through the bypass machine. Um, and then at, a, at that point, then we start turning down the flow of the bypass machine and let the, and let the heart start to fill um, so that it starts, it starts getting blood into it and having to pump. And we watch it very carefully to make sure it's going to do okay with that. You know that it's it's strong enough to handle that. Um, so we come down slowly on the pump, and we watch with echo. We watch the heart fill. Um, if it looks good, we'll come off the bypass machine. Um, we'll the, using the echocardiogram. We'll look, make sure the valve's working well, that everything looks good, that the function of the heart's uh, normal. There's not any leak around the valve or something we have to go back and fix. And then uh, at that point, if things look good, we remove those big hoses we put in for bypass. We tie down the purse strings. We give a medicine that reverses the blood thinner, um, and uh, we make sure there's no bleeding. And um, and then you know we uh, close, sew the incisions shut. We put in some drainage tubes just in case any fluid accumulates in there, so it drains out. Um, and and uh, bring those out through separate incisions, and and uh, and then we're done. And the patient, <laughs> patient goes to the ICU. That's yeah, just a, that may be too a much day detail. in the office. <laughs> just a day in the office. Wow. With that, we'll be right back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. Stay tuned. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Have you seen Winifred's healing jewelry? See what collectors and celebrities have been adoring for decades. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning, based on the energetic healing property of natural semi-precious gemstones. Whether you prefer a custom design or wish to choose something special from her handcrafted line of jewelry, all of Winifred's designs are tuned in a crystal quartz tuning bowl to the word love. Blessed stones by masters and even John of God, these healing pieces have been coveted by happy customers for years. With a fine eye for energy and aesthetic, Winifred brings to life the beauty within each stone and its unique healing properties. Enjoy more energy with Brazilian citrine. Protect yourself from EMFs and rebalance with tourmalines. Break unwanted patterns with beautiful appetite. Choose from a wide variety of gemstones and their healing properties. Designs by Winifred is fine jewelry with meaning. Follow on Facebook at Designs by Winifred or email at info at designsbywinifred.com. You voted show host Winifred Adams Writer of the Year for her Making Life Brighter consciousness columns, Entertainer of the Year two years running for her Making Life Brighter radio show, and Humanitarian of the Year for the third year running for her healing work and work at John of God. Medical intuitive and host of the Voice America Making Life Brighter radio show, Winifred Adams is your resource for wellness and consciousness training. A master healer for 20 years with a worldwide and celebrity clientele, Winifred uses her unique gifts to help those in need with physical, spiritual, and emotional ailments or trauma. Individuals and families may book private sessions in person or via Skype worldwide. Go to MakingLifeBrighter.com for more information. Enjoy Winifred's monthly articles with upwards of 30,000 fans. To buy music and subscribe to her Voice America radio show, visit iTunes worldwide. Follow along on Facebook at Making Life Brighter for her latest humanitarian effort to help move elephants in South America to a free roam sanctuary. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. We're talking to Dr. Fitzgerald today about heart surgery. And if you missed the last segment, you might want to go back and take a listen to that on the archive because we just went inside what it's like to go through a heart surgery and in precision. And that's that's amazing. And that's only part of it. So we were we were talking this whole hour about what it's like within a heart that's damaged and what it takes to uh, come through a surgery like that and how there's a balance and a delicate balance. And these surgeries can range five, six hours sometimes. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And, and so it must be difficult for you to be so focused and then kind of drop the day and go home and live life. What's that like for you? Um, and how do you find a balance in your in your precise work and then going home to just relax and enjoy uh yeah it's it's hard and it's it's an ongoing struggle for me um it is it is really hard to you know to to be in that sort of an intense situation and um you know and then and then totally shift gears in, into something else and, and, and to try to relax and um, uh, yeah I, I wish I wish I could say I have I have the answer to that but but I don't one thing that I think that I've been working on actually is is uh, mindfulness um, and trying to trying to develop exercises and things that I can do to you know to bring myself into the present particularly when I'm at home uh, so that I'm not sort of mentally still in the operating room or in the ICU or, or dealing with those sorts of things to try to be to try to be more present in the moment. Absolutely. You know, with, with and for my family and for myself. Yeah, it's like you're you're in a precise state that takes so much focus, and then you mm-hmm. have to turn around. And I would say, typically, I'm going to guess that you'd go home, and then your family wants you to support them you know and that that's hard because you just came off of all of this and and what's that like right so we all need a support system and that's that's intense that's a big one yeah it is and that's you know that's that's a big struggle um and uh yeah you know you want to be i want to be a good father and i want to be there for my kids and i want you know their needs are are important too yeah and uh you know, and I, your patients, I, and your wife, and right. your family, and your yeah, everybody. You know, everybody, and um, it, it's like being all hats to all people sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? 
yeah. sometimes, but you know, I'm not, you know, I think everybody deals with that too. You know, we all, we all deal with that no matter what your, I think, you know, no matter what your calling is in life or your job, um, you know, there's always a, there's always demands and stresses and switching of gears and, and, uh, and, and, and balancing, you know, work and family and, and other things. So I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm necessarily unique in that. Maybe it's a little, maybe it's a little more polarized in my situation, but, um, but I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> you and all of us, you know, um, yeah. at break, I was talking to the doctor about the Olympiads that I've been interviewing that you all know about. And, um, we were talking about focus, um, and what does it take to hold a focus for five hours like that? What does it take? Um, well, first of all, I think one thing I've noticed, I think, I think being well rested really helps. Um, what I have noticed, what I do notice with these procedures is that you get into something called flow to where uh, it just sorts, it just, uh, ideally it just sort of unfolds in real time and that you don't even really notice that you're focusing and you kind of lose track of time, you know, or and you don't really feel the fatigue in your back or your legs until later. But while you're doing this, it's... Uh, I just think I just think it's so it's so engrossing, and there's so many things going on that you just you know you just kind of uh, lose yourself in it, and so the the it doesn't it doesn't usually it doesn't usually take sort of an an effort to focus. I would say um, it's your gift. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I did you train to do that though? Well, I think it just comes, yeah, with training. But um, but that's not to say. I mean. But you know, when unexpected things happen, um, things that you're that you're not expecting, um, you know, which which obviously can happen all the time, mm-hmm. um, or where you, when you're kind of confronted sort of with multiple problems coming at you at once that are unexpected, um, I think those those are the most challenging. You know, that's when you have to. You're playing ball. You're on. Yeah, that's that's when you. That's I think when you have to make the effort to focus and to, um, you know, and just to be patient mm-hmm. and. and uh, and to and to stay calm and and I and I find that's a lot easier if you're if you're well rested. I think I think the more if if you're tired, your your brain really has less bandwidth uh, for that kind of thing. And it's just amazing how that works. But I think being well rested is is kind of the key for for dealing with those things. And do you talk to your patients that are on the table that are knocked out as you work on them? Do you call them by <laughs> name or do you are you <laughs> talk to your team just about them? Because. Um, I think mo- mostly it's talking to the team about them, but I, uh, for sure, I've, I think I've, yeah, I occasionally will talk to people and tell them, tell them what I want them to do. <laughs> That's great. Your heart really needs to start working a little better now. Yeah, yeah come on, buddy. Yeah, yeah come on, buddy. <laughs> There's definitely been a few of those. Come on, buddy. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. Come on. You yeah. know, it's funny because in, on this show we talk about fields of energy mm-hmm. and um, that the energy field can go... 10 feet out outside of a body in a field so all the people working around kind of have to be in sync for that mm-hmm. field because that body can feel it mm-hmm. if you've ever been real sensitive or real sick you can kind of feel a wave of an energy that comes through mm-hmm. do you notice that do you notice your your team feel or your cohesion as you work together oh absolutely and as as the surgeon i mean like it or not you're sort of the centerpiece of that and that your your attitude and your mental state of well-being is it's infectious so 
if you can if you can keep your attitude right and your and your mind right, then your team will be okay too. But if you you know if you start to get agitated, it's it's completely infectious, and other people will get agitated too, and that's. You know. You're responsible for the the energy of the room. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is. Everyone's in it together. But I th- I think we, sur- you know, as a surgeon, you you like you know. the general on the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, kind of. I, I think just because you're, you know, you're the contact point. You're the main. You know, I mean, you're. If something's going wrong, it's it's it's. I'm going to be the one who's aware of it mm-hmm. usually first, uh, and um, you know, and, and it's. But yeah, the whole you. You definitely, you know, you definitely want, you definitely want the the team all on the same page, and and uh, you know, I think, I think earlier in my career, I, I found out that yeah, when you when you get agitated, everyone else gets agitated too. Neat discovery yeah. though, isn't it? <laughs> it's an important discovery. It's yeah. a, it wasn't necessarily neat at the time, but uh, um, <laughs> it, no, but that, that's that's important learn, is keeping the just keeping the right, you know, just the right attitude and, and it is when everyone's focused on one thing and that's making the patient you know on one thing make, making the patient better and everyone's has that same goal then I do think everyone on the team is very connected in a way that's um, it's pretty interesting you know and at the end of that everyone leaves and goes their separate ways and we're not anymore but while everybody is is in there it's really it's it's kind of like an organism with multiple parts to multiple living parts and it, it is cool I mean so and it's such a it's such a team effort it's not just it's not just the surgeon or it's not just the anesthesiologist obviously it's just um, so what you know, do you love really love about this overall what's your favorite thing um, well we we're just talking about team team is team is a huge part of it I mean you know to, to be able to work with people toward a common goal and to be able to share share the uh, you know the satisfaction and the and the privilege of, of really making a huge impact on people and to share that together and, and uh, it's it's really meaningful you know it goes pretty deep uh, and um, you know what and, and but, but at the end of the day the best thing is just to is to see these people as to see the patients as they recover as they get a week two weeks couple months down the road and they're and they're feeling well and they're doing well and um, is is it's just very satisfying to have been part of sort of this system that was brought to bear to solve this problem and to just and to be a part of healing so i always ask everybody at the end of an interview what makes your life brighter and if what you just said isn't it is there something else (laughs) um that yeah that that definitely that definitely makes my life brighter for sure and um you know um seeing my kids at the end of the day and my wife that's that definitely makes my life brighter. That's so nice. <laughs> Thank you for coming and being with us today. Maybe yeah. we'll get a chance to speak to you again. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 10 a.m. for information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. Go Jolly! Always do. 
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.